Suck my dick, you gay faggot. Tempting. So what's new? I, uh, I lost the Crazy Eights competition. With my friend Matisse, he, my friend Matisse came to me with a concept of like an office type comedy short film he wanted to make, but it was like, instead of Michael Scott, the boss is God, and you know, his, the, the people working under him would be like various biblical figures like Lucifer and, and whatever. And it would be like, you know, the mundanity of an office environment, but this is like the, the hub of where the universe is run, you know. But anyway, we developed, we developed a solid pitch and we got into the sem semifinals. And uh, it was down to like me and like 12, 11 others. I think there's 12 altogether. Or no, 13 altogether. And then it was going to be, that, that was going to be chopped down to six based on our scripts after they were workshopped. And I submitted, I did three drafts, I submitted a final draft, and uh, we didn't win. And uh, I was a little bummed out at first, because I was really, not that I had such a faith in my ability over everyone else's, but just that we, we were one of the few comedic log lines, you know? So we thought we would get picked just on the, the fact alone that we were doing a comedy. So, you know, all the, f the lineup of films wouldn't be all doom and gloom because that's all often what it is. You know, kids in film school or just out of film school, they all make films about loss and despair. And so you can't even blame them half the time because the teachers ins instruct them to make things like that. Because this is a problem I've always had with fucking school is that they have this thing where they, as they associate laughter with disrespect. Like you can't, you can't, you can't laugh at something and take it seriously at the same time, apparently. And I always just thought that was a, that was a poisonous way of thinking, you know? Because why would you want to limit laughter in any situation? Because it's just so... It's, it really is like the best medicine for a lot of things. So it's like, if you have an opportunity to throw a joke in, like, why not? But yeah, all, the, all these other pitches just seemed very serious. So I thought, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get picked just so there's like a funny one in the lineup. But... Uh, Never got picked, and you know I I don't wanna I don't want to assume this, but I really hope that it wasn't because we didn't meet some kind of quota for like casting black people and women because that that was like part of the feedback that we got because I think the way they read our script they pictured it as being a bunch of like white dudes and they were like uh, they sent us an email saying like. Have you have you considered have you considered casting more uh, black people as like uh, to be the angels and or maybe there's a woman somewhere and at first I didn't react well to that feedback I was just like oh fuck you and your PC quota I gotta have X amount of black people before it's okay like if I want to write a story about white dudes just let me fucking do it because hey guess what I'm a white dude so maybe I want to write about a white dude and have a white dude as my main character what uh, is because of my privilege am i strictly only allowed to write about women and black people fuck off but the more i thought i thought about it though and i was like uh eventually we did <laughs> like here's how twisted i am my my first reaction to that feedback was to have a scene where we see the outside of the office and there's like a sign that says no blacks no women no animals <laughs> no dogs <laughs> and like just like 
because I felt like that it that kind of added to the satire we were already going for, you know, that this this office where the universe is run is being run by this like just a bunch of like this white stereotypical patriarchy where there's like no like it just felt like that's that's heaven like that felt like an appropriate satirical image like that felt like the kind of comedy we were going for but obviously you can't do that because then the, the the people judging the scripts would just lose their fucking minds right like you, you can't write this we, we we can't green like this this is far too offensive you know so it's just like why bother why why open that can of worms but i thought about it and what we did end up doing was making the main character a woman just because it did actually make the story more interesting. And if, if you make a decision like that, that should be the reason, is for the benefit of the story. What makes the story better? What makes the story more interesting? And since we changed the main character to a woman, then all of a sudden, on top of the satire of like biblical figures working in an office, it also all of a sudden became a story about a woman in the workplace in a very patriarchal environment where you know women just don't have no say and they're marginalized and her goal then becomes being heard in the company you know i thought that's that's funny that's interesting let's let's do that uh but e even with that uh tweak it still didn't work out they still didn't pick us obviously but you know i'm not too sore about it i do hope they have good judges though like i'm so sick of these fucking film competitions and they don't like, a competition can only be as good as the judges that they get to, like, go through the material, the pitches, and pick out, you know, what's valuable, you know? You don't just want anyone on the jury making judgments on your work. Like, you want fellow creatives, right, who know the things to look for, you know, and understand basic act structure and character development. But what I've been hearing from some of these competitions is that they that, that just grab judges from wherever, like even they they don't they might only have a vague familiarity with film and not even have created anything and know what it's like to create something. If you're going to put together a competition, you're going to get all these talented people contributing their work. Get judges who know what the fuck they're talking about. Otherwise, don't bother. Fuck off. That happened a few times. And film competitions suck. People f talk about how fucking fun they are. It's like, yeah, it's so fun making a movie on no sleep it's i forgot how much fucking fun that was what a blast but you know it's it's fun in the sense that we're all in this annoying thing together and it's like oh doesn't this suck but you're like you're with your friends making something so it's fun to that small degree but it's in an overall sense it's not a fun thing to be in a film competition especially ones where they include the fucking development time in the production window so it's like some of these competitions you only have 48 hours to make a movie but and, and they they include writing the script in that so it's like you spend like 12 hours coming up with a script and then you can't even sleep after that you gotta well maybe if you have a separate writer and then that writer just works for like 12 hours straight gets a draft done hands it off and then goes to sleep and then the rest of the team actually makes the movie but but this Crazy Eights thing, thank God they were smart enough to like exclude the development time out of the production window. So you 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 re you write the script and rework it to a state that it's as good as you can get it, and then the production starts, which makes a hell of a lot more sense to me. John, I will be the judge of your next film competition. <laughs> I won't even look at any other film. I will give you a ten out of ten 
and zero out of ten for everyone else. I know how to judge. <laughs> Thank you. Somebody finally f has figured it out. Have fun masturbating to your pony pussy, you freak. Thanks, I will. My character in my novel identifies as a dual-band, triple-oscillated, four-ply, quantum-actuated, phaser-ion pulse rifle with adjustable stock. Sorry, I didn't mean to assume otherwise. My bad. That's my fault. That's, that's me and my microaggressions. I really gotta watch them. It's sad because a show like South Park would be thrown away right away. Nearly impossible to pitch a truly funny show. In this fucking political correct quagmire that, the, that we're all living in right now, yeah, it would, I think it would be hard to... I mean, thank God South Park got out there and has become as popular as it is, you know, to, like, pave the way for more cartoons like that. South Park would never have been greenlit if it was pitched today. I don't know, you think so? I mean, it was, it was pitched back then, and Comedy Central picked it up. John, do you think... Do you think South Park act accurately portrays Canadians? Yeah. Bang on. Hey, John, I've always thought Arbiter's motive to turn on Eugene felt kind of weak. I'd figure Arbiter's character would become numb to all the harsh things Eugene would do. Well, yeah, he was doing things that Arbiter considered bad, but then there was one where he was threatening to, to hurt or, or to, he was threatening to kill a child which I thought was the line, you know? I, th I, th I thought that was, like, I deliberately made it that way f as, like, uh, something that Arbiter would not be on board with and finally be like, no, we got to distance ourselves from these, from these guys because these guys are insane. My last job I worked as basically a chore boy for Korean people who were a ball hair away from being pedophiles. <laughs> One of the 40-plus-year-old dude chefs actually casually touched a 19-year-old chick's ass and bragged. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's not good. You don't know heartbreak until a girl farts in your mouth and doesn't give you the poo-poo lunchables you so desperately need. <laughs> Still enjoying your canned food, John? Hey, I'm getting better. I'm starting... I'm using the Crock-Pot now. I mean, I'm still limited as to what I can make, but I made uh, lentil soup... I made spaghetti, all homemade, chocolate cake, all fr uh, <laughs> the chocolate cake. There wasn't any fruits and vegetables or vegetables, obviously. But but I'm I'm buying stuff out of the fresh produce section now. I'm bu I'm buying all the spices and powders and stuff from that same area. But yeah, I, I chop up all the vegetables, throw it all in the crock pot, let that cook for like five hours, and uh, yeah, made some good shit. I was really impressed with the spaghetti I made one night, but then I froze it, and then the flavor was fucking dead after that. But I'm getting better. Why not just ragu? Is it really that bad? Oh, I'm trying to... It's the sodium in everything, right? Like, that's what I really got to cut down on. Not so much radiation food. Eh? <laughs> yeah. People talk like that canned shit is like fucking glow-in-the-dark, you know? Like cans of radioactive waste. I'm like, fuck you. It's not that... I don't think it's that bad. But there is a lot of sodium in there. Like, I don't know how bad fucking sodium is. People just tell me it's bad. And I'm like, okay. I don't know how bad it really is long term. What happened to PT? Well, I don't know. I think... I mean, I assume Capcom was developing Resident Evil 7 before PT came a thing. Just because it seems like it would take a long time to develop a game like that. But it is remarkably similar to PT. Like, PT became a crazy thing. And then, it, and then you know, Kojima and Guillermo canceled it and then all of a sudden Resin Capcom comes out with a new Resident Evil that's like exactly that format it's like hmm but I don't know I th think maybe they 
there's a chance that before PT even came out, that Capcom was like, okay, we really got to, like, fix the formula here because Resident Evil 6 was just all over the fucking place. I mean, that, that game was a mess. I mean, people say 5 is bad. 5 is nowhere near as bad as 6. I think 6 is just... 6 wasn't necessarily... It didn't even... It didn't play that poorly, but it was just such a mishmash of gameplay elements. It's just like, what what exactly is this game trying to be? It was like three games in one. Like Leon shooting zombies, Chris shooting crazy mutant things, and then like a runaway and hide type game where you play as the girl Sherry Birkin or whatever. I don't know. Is Wish.com really legit? It looks really fishy. Dude, I kind of thought the same thing, but it, it really is legit. I like I, this shit. I got that from Wish. Like this microphone came with the XLR cable, came with the brace, came with the pop filter, everything. Except this little stand thing that it's on. I had that already. But this was like 20 bucks, and then uh, uh, I'm waiting on a podcast arm. I have no reason to believe that that's not on its way. And this gaming headset, which works perfectly fine. And it's got... Uh, this gaming headset was like 20 bucks. I got that off of Wish. And it's got like this... Uh, it feels good. The sound is good. It's got this little microphone piece that folds down. And it's got like an adapter for like if you... Like, if you don't want to play on PC, you can play on, uh... It's got, like, an adapter for plugging into an Xbox controller. Or, uh... I think for, uh... A, there's one for, uh... You know, playing... Plugging it into a PlayStation 2. I guess that's just USB. But, yeah, it's... Uh, check it out. It's good. I mean, it's... It's, it's like, discount electronics shipped from China, right? So, I mean, it, it'll, it'll come in, in, a, in a sketchy-looking box, maybe, that has, like, bad English on it. But uh, but the product itself is fine. I'm sure there are good experiences in food, but mine was fucked. So much illegal bullshit went on. Boss was creepy and shit too, etc. Yeah, dude, I, I worked in retail. I worked uh, I worked in a supermarket in the electronics department for two or three years, somewhere in between there. And I really liked the people I worked with, but there was this one employee who was really lazy. And he would constantly, like... Like, people would tell him to do shit, and then he just wouldn't do it. And then it would be up to the people who showed up for the sh the morning shift the next day. They would see that it wasn't done, and they'd be like, fuck. We told him to do it, and he didn't. So, like, we have to pick up the slack on top of all the prep that we have to do for the flux of customers that are going to come in. Because, you know, the mornings are usually busy. And I remember, like, the uh, having a distinctly remember having a problem with this guy around Christmas time too and you know you don't fucking not pull your weight around Christmas because there's already enough to do around fucking Christmas time in a real retail job like get the fuck out of here but anyway this guy he was just a really lazy out really lazy dude and I wrote him a note one day I was at work and I took a piece of paper like people are this people I was working with that day they had had enough of this guy they were upset that he wasn't pulling his weight so I'm like okay I'll leave him a note because he's going to come in later, th the same day. So I pulled a piece of paper, took a pen, and I wrote a big note about how I wasn't pulling his weight and that you really got to, like, help us out. You know, if somebody s says do something, like, do it, and if you can't, let us know why. And then I left the note thinking that I was going to leave and he was going to come later and, like, read it on his own, but he came in as I was finishing writing the letter. So I was still there when he was reading it, and he's just like, what the hell is this? starts reading it and he's I can see him getting upset and then I'm just like oh fuck here we go 
Like I'm, I'm watching him, waiting for him to read it and waiting for the ensuing argument that's about to come, right? And then he's just like, did you write this, John? And I stood my ground and I was like, yes, I did. You got a problem? And uh, we had a little exchange and uh, it just ended with me basically winning the argument, saying like, look, you're, you're not pulling your weight, so stop doing it. And uh, I remember I, sometime after that, I got a, an offer to be supervisor of the place. Like the our my supervisor or the the store manager the store managers all liked me because I had my shit together I did what I was told if something wasn't done I had an excuse like something le- legitimately legitimately was stopping me um, and I was a good communicator they liked me so I was the first person they went to to see if they wanted me to be supervisor and I was like you know what. I am. I'm flattered. I like you guys. I like working here, but that, I don't think the supervisory position is really for me. So they they gave it to that other guy, the guy that everybody was pissed off at. They gave him. They offered him the supervisor job for some reason. I don't know. I guess no one else took it. I mean, they must have asked other people than me before him. But somehow this guy got it got it offered to him, and he took it. And then all of a sudden, he's the one running the show. You know, wearing like us in our regular uniforms and all of a sudden he's in his white fancy you know man supervisor dress shirt like ooh, so classy bossing us around and shit and it's the whole time we're thinking like How, you, you're the new supervisor like fucking hell and i remember him like uh, he, i remember him going on some rant about like him having to fire somebody because they were stealing shit from out the back like the the, the warehouse at the back where we keep all our in excess inventory you know, and like new shipments that come in, like the the trucks get emptied and the boxes go into this warehouse in the back, and then that stuff gets hauled out on, onto the main floor, and that's how we stock the shelves with it, right? So some people, I guess, some sketchy members of uh, the electronics department staff were stealing stuff out of there, and this the supervisor was giving him shit. But anyway, anyway, I left that job eventually, but I later heard that that supervisor he got fired by the managers for stealing shit <laughs> so he ended up doing the very same thing that he was giving people shit for and it's just like geez good lord like does nobody have standards anymore fucking hell i'm so tired of taking direction from shit cans you know what are your thoughts on the nintendo switch there's not much to work with but will it fail along with nintendo i think it it looks neat um i think it's uh practical people will get use out of it I don't know if I would in particular. And they made a good trailer for it. I mean, if you're going to make a trailer about hardware, that's that's the way to do it. Is to just show the fucking hardware and show us exactly how it's used in in like a day-to-day scenarios, you know. And it's completely unrealistic, obviously, cuz it's like these hipster women with switches like and you see like her friend next door waving like hey come over and she's like okay let me just pack up my switch and then packs up the nintendo switch brings it over to her friends and then puts it on the picnic table and says like gather around we can all play here's a controller for you here's one for you you're just thinking this would never happen but in in terms of a video explaining to people how it works it was very effective but i don't know if it's gonna if it's going to be successful, I think I think they really got to work on their third-party support. They seem to be really putting all their eggs in one basket with uh, Breath of the Wild. I really enjoyed that trailer. 
It's just they they seem to be just putting all their chips on Zelda. I mean, they've got other shit. They got Super Mario Odyssey coming out, but that that kind of seems to pale in comparison to the hype that's surrounding uh, the new Zelda currently. But uh, yeah, I think if if I had if I had one, Nintendo's got to work on their first party support. And they gotta move on from that fucking bullshit friend code system that they're still clinging to for some reason. It's such a pathetic fucking system. And I, I, um, that fucking uh, multiplayer for Brawl was a fucking joke. Like, even if, even if you did add somebody's fucking friend code and manage to join somebody's game, it would lag like shit. Like, have you ever played an online Brawl match that didn't lag like fuck? It's like, what is Nintendo doing? I mean, like, you gotta, you gotta keep up with Microsoft and Sony because they're 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 handling the online environment really well, and you're just like the idiot cousin who's just sticking with this fucking friend code thing because you're so afraid of your you know youth oriented audience, you know, of getting a little dose of reality and somebody might say fuck over the microphone. Oh wow, so scary. I mean, people are already drawing dicks on fucking whatever, you know, drawing chat application. You know, that fucking swap note on the 3DS. All I did was draw heinous shit on there. Like, you know, scissors stuck into dicks and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm fucked up. But, you know, I, th- I think any kind of drawing application, people immediately abuse it. They just draw a bunch of dicks. And I think Nintendo just has to, like, deal with that finally. Stop pretending that the, the internet isn't going to be rude forever. It's always going to be a shit show. It might settle down a little bit over time. It kind of has. Well, I don't know about that. That's probably debatable. Did you laugh when Trump was elected president? No, I didn't laugh. But I wasn't uh, I wasn't outraged either. And I wasn't surprised. Like, I kind of had a feeling you would win, to be honest. It, it, just, it wasn't the groundbreaking shock that I, everybody seemed to think it was. Like, how could this possibly happen? Like, I, I kind of sensed it was coming just because I knew there were so many people out there who didn't like Hillary. And they suspected that if, if you know, people were people seemed to be so overall dissatisfied with Obama's term in the White House that it seemed like a vote for Hillary would be just a vote for more of the same, you know. And so I kind of predicted Trump would win just on the basis that he was different. All of a sudden here you have a, 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 a candidate who's, who's not a career politician. He comes from a business background. And, you know, whether that's a good or a bad thing, I mean, I, I want to lean towards a bad thing. But I think people voted for Trump just on the basis of change, just to shake things up, you know what I mean? As opposed to Hillary, where things would just, you know... Just the same old liberal bullshit, the same thing we've been doing. Or it just wasn't a surprise to me. And then everyone's like, Trump won. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's not to say that I wanted Trump to, to win, but I understood why he won. It wasn't shocking to me. Can this stream become ASMR? Hi, everybody. This is John's ASMR podcast. <laughs> going to whisper, whisper in your ear this buzz 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 right in your ear (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's too creepy have you ever smoked the ganja john dude i live in vancouver what the fuck do you think
I'm surprised you've never wanted to write a novel. I'd read it. You know, if you've been writing screen screenplays for so long, it I it's really hard to like. I mean, you think like the guy's a writer, you can just write whatever you want, right? But screenwriting has a very particular format. It's concise. It's always third person and just very simple direct language that lets people interpret something visually. Um, but in a novel, it can be from first person, third person, whatever, and you can go into internal monologues. And it's not that I'm not familiar with how to do that kind of stuff, but it's just, it's such a drastic, sh it's like shifting gears, you know, to such a drastic degree, like writing scripts for so long. And then all of a sudden here, write a novel. You, I would be tempted to to do screenwriting shit like I might accidentally write a sentence in the present tense I'm like, oh shit or, uh, or the past yeah present tense I'm like oh shit I can't do that this is a novel and I, I don't think it's unless you're doing both like an equal amount of time I don't think it's easy to jump from one to the other John what's some advice you could give to someone making their first machinima story make something you want to make and don't don't do like a remake of my show for, for starters like I got nothing against it but like if you're gonna put that kind of effort into something why not make it unique to you because if, if you make like a new Arby and the Chief spinoff people might enjoy it but they'll go like oh they'll always go oh it's a spinoff of that thing that uh, that other person made I mean you you want you want to make something that is immediately associated with you as a creator right so why not just do that and focus on the writing part of it get a good script Re read scripts like like nowadays with every like you know lineup of oscar nominated films and stuff like that they'll release the screenplays for them on some website whatever it shouldn't be that hard to find but you can download the pdfs and you can read these award-winning screenplays just see how they're written study them and try to get a script nailed down that's that's you know doesn't have to be an award-winning script but just understand the foundation of what makes a good screenplay and understand that you know, a, a film is only as good as the script that it's at, that's at the heart of it. Like, if you build a bad script, a film off of a bad script, it's going to come out a bad film in most cases. So just focus on making the script as good as possible and have characters that are interesting and relatable and the audience doesn't have to like them, but they should understand why they're doing the things they're doing and understand the importance of juxtaposition, of like how... Um, contrasting one scene with another scene you can synthesize meaning out of that and build tension I don't know that kind of shit that's a lot to, to go that's a big broad subject traps are bad because they lure straight people into traps oh so so traps isn't simply referring to people with mixed genitalia but people who have that condition but also try to deceive the other person into thinking they're one or the other and then not telling them until like the last minute or letting them find out for themselves until they finally see the genitals well yeah I, th I think people should be honest about what the other person's walking into but um i think i think traps is like i find that an offensive way to refer to them i mean i'm not going to be a douche about it but like i don't know traps just seems derogatory like you're you're automatically assuming that they're a deceptive person based on what gen genitalia they have or if they have mixed genitalia that doesn't that doesn't necessitate the fact that that the idea that they're going to deceive you into a relationship that you don't want john confirmed for fapping to traps there you go
How long have you been working with music? How well do you understand the way it works? Dude, I know nothing about music theory. I mean, I've I've the most I've done is skim through a book of like music theory for dummies. <laughs> like that's about it. I mean, anything any skill I have in music creation, I just taught myself dicking around with the frequency frequent or sequencer. Fruity Loops, just like fucking around, like painting notes. I can't even play a fucking instrument. I can barely play the piano. But I just, I know, like if, if you give me a sequencer to play around with, I just know what kind of sounds cool. You know, if I just play with notes long enough. And I understand the basics of rhythm, you know, because I, I think I kind of developed that with my uh, editing video so long. I mean, there's a lot of things about like editing video that I, that I, like things in my skill set that I can transfer from one thing to the other like you you need an innate sense of rhythm to be able to edit well I think and I th think that carries over straight into music production and the same with like writing how a lot of feeling goes into writing that feeling goes into the music creation as well because like it's not enough to just understand music theory you, go you gotta understand why notes need to be played you know like, because that, that comes from within you. Like, because it all stems from, like, a feeling that you have. And you want to articulate that through music. So it, it all it comes down to you. Like, what is it you're feeling? What is it you want to convey to other people through your music? And so you got to find the right notes that hits that emotion the right way. You know what I mean? Conveys that emotion properly. You can't just string a bunch of notes together and then call that a song it's not just the combination of notes it's it's why they're combined together you know thoughts on me magic <laughs> the first time me magic was mentioned i didn't know what it meant and then I, I looked it up and it makes perfect sense that me magic is when a meme becomes so ubiquitous that it starts entering the political realm or not necessarily a political realm, but it starts affecting the world on a major scale. All of a sudden you hear Hillary talking about Pepe. That's meme magic, I learned. And uh, yeah, and I, guess, and I guess meme magic is a real thing. If you, if you can hammer a meme in the public sphere for so long that politicians start, like the pr president starts talking about memes, it's pretty crazy. Can you do any foreign accents? I can do Scottish and Cockney. I'm working on my uh, Cockney and Boston accents because I'm trying to do like celebrity impersonations, like by Michael Kide impersonation. But uh, or I came up with a new character. It's it's a combination of Bane and Michael Caine from the same Batman movies, and it's called Michael Bane. <laughs> and so it's it's so picture Michael Caine as Alfred, but he's wearing a Bane mask, and he's like, uh, hello. My name's Bane. You, you may re recognize me from the Batman movies, yeah? <laughs> no, nobody cared who I was till I put on the bloody mask. And uh, I'm trying to... I've just watched so much Sopranos and like Scorsese movies and Bill Burr that I just can't stop doing the Boston accent now or like Jersey accent. I'm, I'm working on my Tony Soprano impression. Hey, Carmella, where's the gabagool? <laughs> Gabagool over here. You, you telling me that Big Pushy, my Pushy, stole my Gabagool. He did not steal my fucking Gabagool. Okay, get the fuck out of here with that shit. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. I do a better De Niro, though. How's it going? Robert De Niro. 
standing in for John Graham for the See Me After Class podcast. Best fucking podcast in Canada. The only fucking podcast in Canada. You ever seen Taxi Driver? <laughs> Terrible. I think my Michael Caine is Michael Caine is the one I've been working on the most. My, my, Michael Caine, who sounds a bit like this, yeah. <laughs> does you does you vape fentanyl? <laughs> I'm trying to cut back on the fentanyl, to be to be quite honest. Uh. Have we ever thought about suicide? Of course, I've thought about suicide. I mean, that's kind of what season seven is about. I mean, it's not evident until the very end, but like that season seven of Arby the Chief is largely about death and coming to terms with you know approaching the end and yeah i've 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 been through terrible fits of depression and suicidal thoughts i've experienced all that shit i mean should people be concerned no i would i I have no intention of going through with an actual suicide but i think you'd be silly not to at least think about it just because why not because you know just for the sake of letting your mind wander there like it's interesting the idea of killing yourself all of a sudden you cease to be, you know, and think, thinking about how you would do it and how it would f- affect other people. Of course I think about it. It's an interesting thing to ponder, but would you go through with it? No, because it, it, it would hurt too many people around you, no matter how hard it gets. And that, that theme is what season eight is about. This idea of like, because I felt like season seven was such a, like an angsty downer ending. I'm proud of it, but it's ve- very youthful in its, in its angst. You know, just like like everybody dies at the end. That, that's kind of what it boiled down to. And season eight, like that's kind that's kind of that's partly the reason I'm doing this season. This uh, last season is because it's kind of it's almost like redemption. I I ended the show, this very playful show, with this very dark end where the toys take themselves out, and it's like. You know, when I thought about it in hindsight, it's like, do I really want that to be the message of the show for it to all come to this? And I I wasn't glorifying suicide. I just honestly felt like those toys felt like they had no way out. Like I sympathized with them and I thought other people would sympathize with them. It's like they're they're trapped. They hate their lives. You know, it doesn't seem like a stretch for them to to not want to live because they really got nothing to live for or at least nothing they can find in their limited you know surroundings because they're just trapped in an apartment right but anyway the part of the part of the reason i started a season eight was kind of fixing that and it's like okay well season seven was about death so let's make season eight about living at all costs no matter how bad it gets you know and finding that will to live so that's i know it might not seem like that right now but in the big pictures that that is what season eight is about and you know even with these initial eight episodes, I'm setting up things that are going to pay off at the very end of this whole thing. So, you know, I don't know how to end ideas, things I'm talking about. So I just go, so, you know, instead of just because I feel like I, there's this pressure to keep on talking, even though you got nothing to say. So, you know, eh, what the fuck are you going to do? What are you going to do? John, discuss your view on the JQ the hell is that jq john what are your goals now where do you want to be career-wise or will you be making rb and the chief when you're 50 no i don't want to be making rb and the chief when i'm 50 i do want to finish off this last season 
but after this I, I want to move on to something live action uh, sh sh uh, well either live action maybe short short films maybe a, a mini series or being the showrunner on an animated series like I want Polyfrost to be a thing that's my action cartoon it's kind of like a mix of BoJack Horseman and 24 <laughs> with Jack Bauer. Yeah, about a penguin in counterterrorism, and he's like a field agent, and it's like inter, it's like interplanetary counterterrorism. So it's like it's like Mass Effect. So it's like terrorism on a galactic scale. But that's a huge that's a huge can of worms that I'm I'm we're working on a pilot for that for so long. You're not as dumb as you look. Thanks. Really. You think so? JQ equals Jewish Quiznos? <laughs> There's a Jewish Quiznos? Oh, Jewish question. Oh, and someone else wrote that other thing as a joke, a spinoff on that. I can't get over how my buddy one day said that dubstep sounds like Transformers fucking each other. <laughs> That's pretty funny. John, how did you learn how to get the sounds you wanted? I have FL Studio downloaded, but always get turned off by all the dials and switches. I know what sounds I want to make, just not how to make them. Yeah, I know what you mean. I've been in that same boat. I got to do it. Uh, that's one thing I, uh, I'm uh, working on doing is uh, tutorial videos, not just for music. I want to do one for music creation. Like, I can't teach you how to compose music, obviously, but, well, not to the extent like I can't tell you what to feel and then what musical notes you derive from that feeling but I can I can show you what I do with the with the Fruity Loop software so I'll make a tutorial for that and I also want to do a video where I f stage and film like a, a scene in like gameplay and I'll, I'll just like talk through the whole thing as I'm doing it and like explain my reasoning for like blocking and camera positions and stuff like that and then I might do another one for like editing, like just like have me in uh, one window and then like instead of a game, it's like you just see the Adobe Premiere interface and I'll show you how like I cut an episode or whatever. But yeah, how do you learn to get the sounds you wanted? Um, well, I think what you should do is like think about just the notes. Don't think about what instrument right away that you want. I mean, maybe you can you can approach it that way if you want. But if you're having trouble, like you're saying you are, I would I would say start with just painting the notes. Don't worry about what the instrument is that plays the notes, but just paint the notes. Like he like try to listen to it in your head, and then after the notes are painted, what you can do is basically just scroll through the instruments list. Like just go through Citrus. Most most of the sounds I use are from the built-in Citrus package, and you can go through and just like. I think that if you hold control and click an instrument, it'll it'll switch the instrument of those notes that you painted. And uh, like you, you attach that instrument that you've highlighted to those notes. And so you can quickly just like be like, okay, I don't like that instrument. I'll try the next one. And then hold control, click the next one. And then all those notes will play uh, from that other instrument that you, that you newly selected. And you can just go through it quickly like that until you get it sounding the way you want. I described it badly, but uh, but I'll do a video one of these days uh, showing people how I use the software. And there there is some tweaking that that I need to do to get it sounding a particular way. But uh, I mean, you'll you'll probably be surprised by just how little I know once I actually show you how I use the software. 
I don't know. But maybe some of you will get some value out of that. There was what I thought was a Magic the Gathering joke in One Life Remaining, like first seen at graduation. Do you like Magic, or is it filthy plebe card games? <laughs> Dude, I think Magic the Gathering is like the least plebe card game. Or at least that's how it used to be. Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's, what is it? Is it, it's plebe, right? Because it's a contraction of plebeian, and that it's pronounced plebeian, right? But, uh... Yeah, when I was back when I was playing Magic the Gathering, it was a big deal. Like the people who were into it were really into it. And I had a I had a, I had my own deck, but I didn't really know how to use it effectively. I wasn't really that into it. I was only really kind of into it because my friends were really into it and they wanted me to be a part of it and play with them and and I tried, but couldn't really stick with it. It's like most board games, it, they just don't really hold my attention. Or like D&D, Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons. Try, get trying to get that to hold my attention like i'm i'm like falling asleep practically you know playing a round of dnd i just can't stick with it because i'm just like there's i'm not i'm not pressing buttons on a controller i'm not looking at anything like you're just it just relies on you and your imagination which is cool but i don't know i just i wouldn't build a board game around that. i don't know just it's not for me all right too long didn't read <laughs> Let's not stand on ceremony here, Pasta Wayne. <laughs> fish, fish, pasta, pasta. John, what are your opinion on people using music as a way to impress women? Like that guy who immediately pulls out his guitar when a couple of ladies come by. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, reminds me of that bit in Family Guy with that. With, like, the shirtless guy with the backwards hat and his guitar. And he's singing about, like, every beer I've ever drank is up on a shelf above my bed in my bedroom. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty annoying. If someone's actually good at it, though, it's like, whatever, you know, fair play to the guy. But if they're just strumming nonsense notes with stupid lyrics and they're getting a lot of female attention, that can be annoying. Because it's like, why are you falling for that? Come on. Hey, John, what are your dreams for Polly Frost? Like, do you... Do you have any concrete ideas on how you're going to get it made? I mean, I, I dug out my old drawing tablet, so I actually want to, like, draw... Not animate the whole thing myself, because I, I, I lack the skill, full stop, to, like, to take on a project like that on my own. But I'm thinking, like, make, like, a test video where it's, like, the, the voice acting and sound design is there, but uh, the illustrations are just, like, like st storyboard sketches, you know? And just have it like stills. You know how, you know, season three of Rick and Morty isn't out yet, but they, they released like teasers where it's just like the black and white storyboard image of like the characters in key poses. Like if they have their arms outstretched or folded or whatever. Talked about that a little bit in my podcast with Daniel talking about animation because he's an animator, right? Like he, he's a guy who knows what he's doing. I don't have a fucking clue what I'm doing. I mean, other than having dicked around with Flash a little bit in my youth. But beyond that, like, I got nothing, I got, I, I don't know. But, uh, but maybe just drawing a little test video myself, and then, like, as a con proof of concept kind of thing, I might do that. And I'm thinking, like, I c that could be something, I think, that could, I could see that lasting maybe five seasons. Like, it's so ridiculous. I haven't even finished the pilot episode of, like, I don't even have a pilot of Polyfrost, a script to show anybody. But I'm already thinking, like, what my season two opener is going to be and what how I want to end the fifth season, like what the finale is. 
Like, I did the same thing with Arby and the Chief. Like, I thought about the very end first, and I worked my way backwards. So I, I, I would do the same kind of thing with Polly Frost, you know? <laughs> just when I just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> John, talk about past works, please, and talk about Rouge One. If you saw it. Yes, I've talked I've seen Rouge One. I've talked about it before, and it's Rogue One. It's not Rouge One. Uh unless you're doing that deliberately, I don't know. But uh I don't really have much to say on my past works, to be honest. I mean I did one life remaining and that was just based largely on a on a just a handful of core feelings that I had in my latter years of high school and how alienated I felt. Just kind of like on the fence between different cliques and never really fitting in anywhere. I just hate it because it's like it, it felt like a story that didn't belong in Halo. It's like it was just in Halo just because, you know, because it was easy to make. And Hard Justice was kind of the same thing. But then Arby and the Chief came along and I started doing that. And that, it felt like it was all really coming together because like the story was about online gaming. So it made sense that it was in Halo. So all of a sudden, like, I don't know, it just all made sense. Uh, unlike the past stuff, like you, you watch it and you're hearing the, st the story and the dialogue and you're just like, why is this in Halo? And they, they don't acknowledge that they're in armor and there's like vehicles and all the maps look similar and I don't know. But in RB and the Chief, any limitations that the game has is kind of justified by the story because it's about playing online on these games, you know? So if there's some kind of limitation in the game or the map or whatever people watching it will be like oh well I understand because the in this context of the story it's actually happening on this map and so like the maps aren't being treated as real environments it's like they're they're playing the game online so it I'm just repeating myself over and over fuck Rogue One I t I've talked about that already I liked it did you guys see uh, Red Letter Media's review of, of Rogue One I think they were a little harsh on it but I, I agree with uh, Mike's basic summary of it being the greatest fan Star Wars fan movie ever made. And it, but it, it wasn't really it didn't really quite feel like Star Wars because it's at this point it feels like S Star Wars movies inher inherently have to have very like almost overly charismatic characters. Like Rogue, Rogue, uh, Rogue One was played very straight and flat, but I f and some people might see that as a positive and people who are fans of Star Wars might see that as a negative because it's like the charisma has been sucked out of it you know because it's just like it's like a dreary war movie but it's 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 missing the kind of like the the humor and the zingers and you know the the things that kind of made the original Star Wars trilogy so memorable and iconic like that kind of the kind of chemistry between Han Solo and uh, Princess Leia like that, a, a relationship like that, that kind of wasn't really there in Rogue One. But I liked Rogue One. It was cool. It just felt like a war movie, but done with just everybody in Star Wars outfits, with like stormtroopers with laser guns. And it's like, I know what what Mike means in Red Letter Media when he's saying it's the greatest fan movie, greatest Star Wars fan movie ever made. I wouldn't quite go as, go as far as to strictly classify it as that. I, I just I thought it was a good movie, and if it's Star Wars, like who gives a fuck? Fine, and it, it's and it, it to me it was very. I mean, some people give it shit because it's like, why do we need the story of Rogue One? Because we know what happens. 
It's like, yeah, but this is one of those cases where it's more about the less about the destination and more about just the story of how the 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 rebellion got a hold of the Death Star plans, and it's a way of kind of patching up, I guess, a critical problem that people had with a new hope is that why is the death star so easy to destroy and rogue one kind of made sense of that it's a very complimentary movie to that movie it's like okay well well, here's why it was so easy to destroy in in rogue one because it was built with a weakness in mind because the guy building it was doing it against his will and he didn't he knew how terrible the weapon was and he wanted a chance for other people to destroy it without without the empire kind of catching on to what he was doing so it made sense on that level and uh and it gives it it lends weight to a new hope you know because it's like you you all you all of a sudden now have this idea of what the rebellion went through in order to ensure the series of events that happen in a new hope and it feels very complimentary to that now i liked it didn't quite feel like star wars you know i i think the Force Awakens is closer to Star Wars than Rogue One was, but uh, I think The Force Awakens is going too far the other way because th- the, the Force Awakens felt like uh, there was too many moments that felt forced. You know, is like you know that moment where uh, Ray and Finn are on the Millennium Falcon and they're talking to each other and they're really like they're like overly excited, like they they just got finished escaping the Tie Fighters and then they're looking at each other and they're like. You know, you were so good. You you were so, you 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 really evaded those tie fighters. And then they're like me, like you, you were you were doing this crazy like. And they're just like, oh, it's like you're going a little too far with it. Stop sucking each other's dicks, you know. Or just uh, characters arguing with one another with a certain cadence and tone that gives it a comedic feel, like it's banter almost, like a co- comedy double act when it should be played a little more straight. I liked both movies though. They're but they're very they're different movies, that's for sure. Oh, I am working on something actually. I uh I haven't done this type the subtitles yet, but I'm doing a thing. I'm doing like a a gaming stream thing, but it's not me. It's Chief. Like it's exactly the same format where it's like the game and then you see a little window with me and it's the same camera, same setup, but it's just instead of me in the frame, it's like Chief in the frame. And he comes in when I'm out of the house or something. And his he has his own stream show, and it's called X-Stream. Like X-Stream. The most extreme stream ever. So that And every time he introduces it, he's like, Hey, welcome to X-Stream, the most extreme stream. And in the first episode, he plays Call of, I have him playing Call of Duty. And so I recorded some Call of Duty gameplay. This was a night where I was, like, struggling with Episode Eight script, and I was getting really fucking upset with myself because I wasn't making any progress. It's just like a block, right? So I'm like, fuck, I want to get something done. So what what am I creatively energized to, like, work on right now? I want to write something funny. And, uh, and so I had this idea of, like, Chief on camera doing, like, a stream. And so I recorded a bunch of Call of Duty gameplay as if Chief were playing it. And then I recorded Chief in front of the webcam, and I wrote a bunch of dialogue. But uh, I haven't. I, it still needs some revision. But really, I mean, once that's done, and and I I can uh, get that translated to voice, and I put subtitles over it, then I can actually put that out as a little five-minute thing of just like you know rapid-fire jokes, Chief playing COD. I thought that'd be funny. John, why don't you make a career off YouTube?
Well, I wouldn't feel so bad about it if I could just shake off this stigma that anybody who lives off of a YouTube career is a fucking beta cuck on neat bucks or whatever the fuck it's called. Like what my my the work that I do on all the scripts and the the podcasting and all that. I mean, some people make a living on podcasting alone. I'm doing that and I'm writing these scripts with a genuine uh tele film and television level of insight. Like I know I have a greater comprehension of film theory than a lot of fucking people out there on the internet creating content. And, you know, I'm putting that energy into something that I fucking care about. Like, I, I wouldn't have nearly the amount of creative satisfaction that I would have working on set on some bullshit Hallmark production, a Hallmark movie of the week, than I would doing this right now. And it, it moves really slow and it's depressing and I fucking hate being cooped up in the house and not having much money to spend. But you know what I care about what I'm doing and I know once this next I, I'm proud of the seven episodes I've put out so far I think they're really good in terms of what ev like everything that I've ever released and I want to do a good job on this in this last one because this is the last one that's going to button up this eight episode arc and then I'm going to move on to act two and it's just going to be like the toys in the bedroom I've talked about this before like it's going to be like similar to the the first season of episodes so, like, why can't I make a living off that as opposed to, like, being a grip on some movie that I don't care about, but but whatever, that's a real job, so I should be happy? What, like, why can't I just, like, just because I'm working from home on scripts on my own stuff, that should be looked down upon as lesser? I don't understand that. I mean, I know for a fact I'm writing better fucking scripts than these guys that they get to shit out scripts for these fucking Hallmark movies, but I'm not on an official payroll, so I'm a beta cuck, apparently, who is, who's just a fucking moocher. Red versus Blue got really ridiculous when they started animating the episodes. Um, I think they did a really good job animating the episodes. I mean, it's impressive what they were doing. I mean, especially Monty, Monty Ohm's work. But I, I agree it could go a little over the top sometimes with the fight choreography. But, you know, that's just, you know, Monty doing what he loved to do, man. I And I respect the shit out of that guy. But I, I agree that, you know, if, if the fighting is too choreographed and over the top and fancy, then it kind of sucks the tension out of it. It's, you, you, want f you want fights between characters to feel real. And if you watch a real fight, it's not fancy fucking choreography. It's... It's awkward punches and, and you know, punches that hurt the person punching and, like, people out of breath and, like, clinging to each other's clothing and, you know, tearing it and kind of, like... You ever see uh, Cartman and Kyle fighting in Cartoon Wars, that episode of South Park? That's, what a, that's why that bit is so funny is because that's what a real fight is like, where it's just, like, slapping and hitting and tearing at clothing and just, like, quickly being exhausted and they just kind of collapse into each other's arms that's that's kind of what a real fight is 